Lord, thank you. Thank you again for your incredible uh, the gift of your presence to us. Lord, that you, uh, you, come, you come towards us like the, the, um, you're the father that runs down to embrace the, the prodigal son. Thank you, Lord, that you run to embrace us. Thank you, Lord, that you're here. Help us to listen to you today, Lord Jesus. May you be glorified, God, today. Amen. Um, just before I get into uh, the message that I've prepared, I just wanted to um, just bring a, um, uh, a short message from, from the conference. So uh, some of you know, others don't, but um, a few of us were down at the National Vineyard um, Conference in Christchurch, which is just a cool time with all of the vineyard churches across New Zealand, uh, you know, coming together. It's the first time we've been able to do this for three years. Um, uh, I've been I've been ble- I'm real I'm really blessed as as a pastor because I get to have sort of weekly weekly zooms with other pastors uh, other vineyard pastors each week, um, but it's a different thing when you're actually in the same room with people. Some of these people I've never met before apart from on on Zoom, and so it's actually really really amazing being uh, being in the same room together worshiping together. And I, I just felt really I don't know how others have, um, others that went down felt, but I just felt really encouraged about vineyard in New Zealand vineyard. Uh, Vineyard Churches in Aotearoa. I think um, it's just a, a great movement. I'm really excited to be part of part of this movement and what God's doing. We also uh, heard from John and Ellie Mumford over from England, and they just they just carry like this incredible uh, gift of of God, uh, and they just. They're incredible. They they're so down to earth. They they you know had these sort of uh, chit chats where they both be up on the stage and uh, spent a lot of it making fun of each other, which is what we do, right? <laughs> which is what we do. But then they also speak with such such power, and it just really kind of builds us up. I uh, also heard from Alexander Venter from uh, from South Africa, and again, like just a, he just you know cuts through with what he what he says, speaking the truth in a in a really humble and profound way. One of the things that um, Ellie Mumford came with was was actually uh, like a prophetic message, and it comes out of uh, Isaiah 27. And um, I'm just going to read. This is from the, the New King New King James Version. So it's slightly different from from the words that um, from the translation that uh, Ellie Ellie spoke. But it says in Isaiah 27 verse two, "In that day, sing to her a vineyard of red wine. I, the Lord, keep it." I water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I keep it night and day. So the, the Lord Himself, he, he sings over the over the vineyard, isn't like the vineyard movement as well. He waters it. He he protects it. And I know we've been through like a challenging season, I keep saying, you know, like the last two and a half years have been challenging. But the Lord guards it and He He is with us. So thank, thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that, for that encouragement. Thank you that you're the God uh, who, who guards us. You have good things in store for us, good things for us to do. You're making good wine, Lord. Amen. Amen. And so I'm sure like over the coming, coming weeks, more will come out uh, from, the cover, uh, from the conference. But if you want to catch up with a few people, the, uh, Matt was down there and the, the Butels were there. Um, Zoe and, and Matt J are still, still down in Christchurch. Hopefully they come back, right? I'm a bit nervous, to be honest. It's like, because, oh, you know, Grace Vineyard's a great place. Like, oh, come back, guys. Nothing like us. <laughs> What'd you say? 
<laughs> yeah, Zoe, there's stuff. you got stuff at the Jay's house. <laughs> All right. <laughs> when you think of the word representation, you might think of many different things. You might think of how, how the All Blacks represent New Zealand in rugby. Let's just pause there for a second. The All Blacks, yes! <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm going to go on a bit of a few sidetracks this morning, but this is one of them. Um, I don't know how, how many people you are into. How many of you are into sport? Like there's this sports team that you really like, and um, do you do you have those moments where you sort of your emotions kind of like rise and fall on how well your team's doing? I had to stop watching the Black Caps because my emotions were always quite low because they. <laughs> would often lose. And, you know, uh, even with the All Blacks, like, I mean, obviously I used to be a rugby player. I used to be quite into it. You know, I've got that kind of build. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd be like the lock and the scrum, obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks, Nicholas. <laughs> the tackle practice bag. I was, I was your tackle practice bag, I think. <laughs> When I was 11 years old, I thought I might get into rugby, and I was quite skinny. I was. I still am. And I had this idea that I could bulk up and become a great rugby player. You know, that thought kind of lasted one meal, and then I was... Um... <laughs> anyway, so, the, you know, the All Blacks represent New Zealand in rugby, and, and fortunately they could still beat Australia. You might think of... Rep- you know, I'm talking about representation. Keep on track. You might think of how the Governor-General represents... Uh, I was going to say Queen, but King. The King. King Charles, the new King. Uh, representation, you might think of how an, an ambassador represents a country, or you might think of how a, a brand represents a company. When I think of, representa- when I think of representation, the, the thought keeps on coming to mind about my, my school days at, at Wellington College. And uh, in Wellington College, uh, they probably still do, but back then they had, a, had a quite a strict uniform code. Is this, is this still the case, Judah? Uh, Relatively strict. Well, back in my day, the glory days, they had a strict uh, uniform code. You had to tuck your shirt in, and you had to shine your shoes, polish your shoes black, and you had to pull up your socks all the way to your knees, and get this, you had to wear garters, which were just basically elastic bands underneath your socks to hold them up. And, and they would tell us, do they still do that? Do they still wear garters? I mean, isn't the uniform thing, but no one wears it. No one wears it. Okay, man. <laughs> They have, they have. Well, you represent my point quite well. So, so they would tell us, they would tell us at school that we, that we represented the school, eh? And when you're out in public, you represent the school. You got your uniform on, you represent your school. They still get the toll of that. And so they'll tell us that, you know, if, um, if you look at scruffy, in other words, you look cool, you know? If you look scruffy, socks down, shit untucked, uh, that, that's going to that's gonna tarnish people's view of Wellington College. I'll probably come back to that idea. <clears throat> representation. In the Bible, representation, it's super, it's super important. And it's this concept that re- returns over and over again at, at multiple levels. It's, it's powerful and it's meaningful and it's substantial. And getting a, getting a, getting a biblical view of representation can really change our, our understanding and, and our thinking and our, and our behavior as well. It's a really exciting thing. There's this cool story uh, of, a, of a cool guy whose name was Melchizedek. Melchizedek. You say it quickly, Melchizedek. You might have heard of him. He was this, this ancient king and priest. 
uh, with a great name. I mean, why don't people people call their na- uh, kids great names these days, like Eli and stuff, but no one calls their kids Melchizedek. Well, they should. Anyway, he, he appears out of nowhere in Genesis uh, chapter 24, and he meets with, with Abraham, Abraham, Father Abraham, who is the ancestor of the Israelites. And then the story, Abraham, he meets Melchizedek, and he just gets prompted, and he gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything he had, which is, which is quite a lot, because Abraham was doing pretty well at that point. It's just a really, really interesting story. And then, and then you jump forward into the New Testament, and you open up Hebrews, and you read this really interesting passage. And it says, in Hebrews 7, 9, the writer says that the, the Old Testament priests of Israel that were a few hundred years later, so a few hundred years after Melchizedek and after this time when Abraham met Melchizedek, that they, that they also had, had given a tenth of everything they had to this ancient king Melchizedek, ancient king Melchizedek. But, and it says, because they were in the loins of Abraham. And I read this and I was like, this is like, this is really weird. <laughs> so so these, these, like these, these descendants of Abraham had somehow given a tenth of things that they had to Melchizedek because they were in the loins and that they were in Abraham at that point. And it's because they were represented in Abraham. It's as, it's as though, the, the, the biblical view, it's, it's as though they were there as well in him. And so this idea of representation, I just want to kind of get into it a wee bit more and I, it just like keeps blowing my mind, but I'm going to try to keep it pretty tight today. And hopefully it will blow your mind as well, and you better better think about um, think about where you see representation in the Bible. So we're we're doing this Exodus journey, eh? And there's this moment in in the book of Exodus, in the Exodus of the Israelites, and, and God is giving the Israelites. So the, these Israelites are the people that He delivered from slavery in, in Egypt by by His own mighty hand. He did it Himself. He delivered them from slavery and from demonic oppression. And and there's this moment when the the foot of Mount Sinai. Uh, the presence of the Lord on the mountain. And he's given them instructions on, on how to host his presence in their midst. And this crazy, again, like it's crazy. Tr- the transcendent, our transcendent God, the transcendent God, the creator of the whole universe, has promised that he's going to set up camp in their camp. He's going to dwell in, the, in their midst. In their midst, in the middle of the desert too. So he gives them instructions, and, he, and if you read uh, Exodus chapter 26 and, and 27, he gives them instructions about how to, how to build the, the tabernacle, which is also called the sanctuary, which is, which is like this portable, portable temple. And then in Exodus 28, he begins describing the new priesthood. He describes who they will be. Uh, he selects them. He chooses them. He, he describes what they, what they should wear what they will wear, what they will do. The priests uh, that, that, that God selects uh, will be uh, Moses' brothers, Moses' brother, Aaron, and Aaron's sons. And the clothes that they wear, the clothes that are described in Exodus 28, are, uh, are, are elaborate and pretty strange. They're, they're, they're particular and they're full of significance. I uh, ran out of time to put um, a PowerPoint together, but all of you have your Bibles handy, I know. So uh, it's quite good to read this one, actually. So if you open up your Bibles to uh, Exodus 28, you might have it on your phone. If you don't, then don't get too worried about it, because I'm going to read it anyway. Exodus 28. And we'll uh, start reading from verse 9. 
So Exodus 28, verse 9. This is what, this is what it says. So he's talking about the, 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 uh, the outfits, the, the robes that the priests are going to wear. He says this, You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. So Aaron, Aaron's been chosen by God to be, be a high priest. And when he goes in before the Lord, he wears this incredible outfit that you can read about. And on his shoulders are these two onyx stones. Onyx, I like to look it up, black, black stones, black shiny stones. One on each shoulder. And on, and on each on each on each uh, stone each stone is engraved with the names of the six sons. Six sons, six sons on one shoulder, the other six sons on the other shoulder. And, and the names of the sons, the, the, the uh, names of the tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel, they're represented on his shoulders. <laughs> I wonder how heavy they were. He probably was like massive like me, so it would be, you know, wouldn't even notice. And anyway, <laughs> and, and so then, but then we'll keep, keep reading. So we'll stay in, in Exodus 28, and now we'll jump forward a few verses to 15. And start talking about this, this uh, breast piece. It says this, You shall make a breast piece of judgment and skilled work, and the style of the ephod you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, you shall make it. It shall be square. You're trying to imagine this, eh? You can Google it and, and see pictures of what people, people, you know, people think it might look like, but you can even imagine it. It shall be square, and, and doubled a span in its length and a span in its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stone. So one, two, three, four. A row of sardius, Topaz and carbuncle shall be in the first row. So three stones in that first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth. Is that right? I'm looking around, frantically hoping I pronounced that right. A jacinth and agate. Yes? Agate. Okay, cool. Thank you. And we all learn together, right? And an amethyst. And the fourth row... A beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. Yeah, jasper. He's out the back. But he's, he, there's a stone for jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. So you get like this picture, eh? The stone on each shoulder, the names of all the tribes, the breast, the breast piece, the breastplate. And these 12 stones... Each engraved with the name of a tribe. It would have been pretty heavy. It talks about it later. Having to have like this, this special structure so you could hold it over his shoulders. And then if we jump forward to uh, verse 29, again, we're staying in that same chapter. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, he shall put the Urim and the Thummim and there shall be on Aaron's heart 
when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. So when Aaron goes in before the Lord into the holy place, this is the holy, holiest place of the tabernacle, hey, the holy of holies, he goes in bearing on himself the entire nation of Israel. He represents them to God. In these passages and others, we find out that, that the priesthood represents the, the, all the people of Israel. They represent all the people of Israel. And once a year, the high priest, Aaron, on the, on the Day of Atonement, would enter the Holy of Holies. This is, this is the place where God's presence dwelt. He would enter into this place of God's presence. And he'd only be able to go in after this really strict and thorough process of, of cleansing and sanctification, which is this process of being made holy. And he goes in, he represents the people of God to God. And it's, he's carrying them on his shoulder. He literally carrying them on his shoulders and on his chest into God's presence. And on the Day of Atonement, he makes atonement for them. And this is an order that they could host God's presence in their midst, the holiness of God in their midst. So, so somehow, this is this, this, is this uh, concept of representation. It's powerful. Through the high priest, somehow the, the entire nation is in the presence of God. Um, side note, the Day of Atonement is actually coming up quite soon. This year, Yom Kippur, that is. It begins the evening of Tuesday, the 4th of October, and uh, it finishes the evening of Wednesday, the 5th of October. So that's like a couple of weeks, right? Anyway, you can like dig into that and read it. I think it's just it's incredible, but we've got, we've got to jump forward because this all leads us, it all points towards Jesus. The book of Hebrews uh, tells us that Jesus is our high priest, Hebrews 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our, hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in this time, in the time of need. <clears throat> when we're at these conferences, we've got these great drink bottles. They're called Refresh, so I'm going to have a swig. All who are thirsty. So you have this, it's an incredible way. So, you know, the high priest in the Old, in the Old Testament, he would, you know, like physically go into the temple, into the holy, holy place to be in the presence of God. We, we have Jesus who's, who does the same thing for us. Jesus is our high priest. And just like the high priest in the Old Testament bears the people into the presence of God, carrying them on his shoulders, Jesus carries us. He bears us into the presence of God. In Romans 8, 34, it says that he intercedes for us. Inter intercession, I think, is representation. It's representing people before God. And, and this is through Jesus that we can be forgiven of our sins. Because Jesus, when he died on the cross, he, he represents us. We, I think representation, it's a, it's a difficult word because uh, some... It, uh, it's, I don't really know how to get the right language around it, but, but it's more than just um, something over here being like you. It, it's somehow in the Bible, it, it, it actually is you somehow. 
somehow. Jesus' death on the cross is as though we die on the cross and the punishment that he takes upon us himself is, is, is what actually we deserve. There's like this real um, substantial aspect to this word that I think our concept of our representation doesn't quite, doesn't quite get it. So this is why I want to kind of keep going with this. He is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He represents us. That's John 1.29. And, and this is why like we, we can be confident of our future resurrection. It's because, because Christ represents us. And they pick up that in, in 1, 1 Corinthians 15.20. Jesus was resurrected. He represents us. So we too are resurrected in him. Uh, communion. We, we, we say when we come and take communion, we, we think and we remember how, how the bread and the wine represent Jesus' body and blood. But, but it's more than symbolic. <laughs> it's more than symbolic. Somehow it's as though the bread and the wine are Jesus' body and blood. You know, Je- Jesus, uh, in the Bible, it talks about us, the church, being, being the body of Christ. Being the body of Christ. Oh, I'll come to that later on. That's representing Jesus. The bread and the wine are Jesus' body and blood. Likewise, Jesus being our representative, Jesus is our representative, means that somehow where he is, we are. Because, we, because we're in him, abiding in him. You don't say that over and over again, eh? Abiding in him. And I think this is what it means in Ephesians 2. Okay, so if you jump, if you're jumping around in your Bible, you're following me around. Ephesians 2, I've got it written down on my iPad, but you might want to turn to that page. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice how it's like the past tense. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that the coming, so in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Uh, um, also Ephesians 1, 3 Three and four. Blessed be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual ble- every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because Jesus is in heaven with God right now. Because Jesus is in heaven with God right now, it's as though we are in heaven with God right now. So every spiritual blessing that Jesus has in heaven right now is like, you know, there's like this this is crazy, crazy conceptual thing going on here, right? Is it messing with your heads a little bit? That's mine. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Get your heads around that. <laughs> Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And you know? Like, you know, like those Levite priests were represented in Father Abraham when Father Abraham gave a tenth of everything he had to Melchizedek. In the same way, somehow we are represented, somehow we're in Christ before. At the foundation of the world. Was it, was it, what? <laughs> oh my goodness. In my notes, I said, so much more can be said about all this so far. Because I, I just, when I think about this, I go on all kinds of tangents, but I really want to just keep forging on, forging on. But hopefully, it's like getting your attention a little bit. Part three. This is part three of the talk. 
We are called to be a kingdom of priests. It says, uh, this is what first, in First Peter it says, we're called to be a kingdom of priests. A, a priest, as we've just been talking about, priests represent, represent. <laughs> like Judah representing Wellington College when you won the rugby, oh, run the rugby game, oh, the praise track. Hockey, P1. Yeah, you represented the school. So we're, you know, in you, in you, in your team, your whole school won that championship. All right? We represent. The ancient Israelite priests represented the people, uh, the ancient Israelite priests represented the people to God and vice versa. They also represent God to the people. Jesus, our great high priest, represents us to God. And, and this is, again, like a bit of a, bit of a, um, a mystery. He is God. He also represents God to us. This is how like, tight these things are. He is God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three. But Jesus represents God to us. That the people of God today, this is us, the church, are called to be representatives. And, and this is countercultural. And I was, I was like, oh, I was really tempted to mix up a whole lot of metaphors here, but I've kind of managed to divide them out a bit. But this, if we, if we get this, this is like going to be like sandpaper within us, rubbing up against our egos. It's a fight because it's a fight against what I see and uh, as, a, as an individualistic cultural current. And I, I'm sure that you'll see it. Like Western culture is all about the individual. It's about achieving my goals. It's about getting what I need. It's the endless pursuit of, I care about you. It's about me. It's my happiness that's the most important thing. And rep- but representation comes against that biblical representation because it means, means somehow like curbing our behavior for the sake of others. Like going back to that example of when I was at college, which was um, a few hundred years ago, when I was at college, how I wore my uniform in public represented the school. But as an individual, I wanted to be cool. I was desperate to be cool, you know, because uh, I didn't have any friends in third form. So I wanted to look cool because I had friends. That's a true story. Don't worry about me. I've got friends now. I, I think you're my friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, both of them. <laughs> Eli and Elena. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where was I? Was I up to page four? Yeah, here it is. I wanted to look cool. You might be the same. So, you know, you'd, you'd go around, you'd cruise around town, you'd have your shirt untucked and your socks not pulled up. But if I was thinking as a, as a representative, if I was thinking representationally, I, I would, uh, I would uh, not... I would want my school to have the good image, not me. So I would, I would have to sacrifice my own desire to be cool for the sake of the school, for the sake of others, right? And when we see this, um, this tension come up time and time again, like um, often, again, like thinking about the All Blacks, because I think this is a really, really, really strong one for our, for, our, for our nation. Again, like, you know, emotions rise and fall because the All Blacks is as though they are us when they play against the Wallabies. 
But let's say the All Blacks. So, you know, someone gets called up to the All Blacks and sometimes they'll say, oh, I'm so honoured to represent my country. I'm so honoured to represent my country. And, and then they go off on tour, you know, over to France or England or something. And then you hear stories about them getting so drunk and then jumping on a car and stuff like that. It's like, well, you're not representing our, your country. You're representing yourself, you know. And so this is why representation, like we, if we get a biblical idea of it, it, it becomes something different. So even as, even as Christians, we, we, we too often get caught up in our own thing. And when we fail to recognize that this is an incredibly high and exciting and important calling that God has for us to be priests that represent, one, that represent, other, uh, represent uh, others to God. We represent others to God. And two, represent God to others. First Peter 2, so that passage I, I mentioned earlier. But you are a chosen race. You're a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into, this, into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received, now you have received mercy. <sighs> That's so nice. You are chosen. Doesn't that feel good? You're chosen. You're royal. What a calling. That's so good. And then, but then Peter goes on and he paints this picture. Like at least he, he begins to paint a picture of what priesthood looks like. And so if we read from verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. In other words, don't do what your body wants you to do. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You know, talking about that friction before. Wage war against your soul. Why? Because you're priests. You're chosen. You're priests. You're called. You're called to represent. And then he goes, keep your contact, keep your conduct among, among the Gentiles, which is kind of like talking about the, you know, the, the, the people outside the walls of the church. Keep your, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable so when they speak against you as evildoers, evil they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Like Peter is really just like going straight into the heart. Yeah, we go, oh man, it's so good to be a royal, a royal priesthood. But he gets to this, he gets to the heart of it. Like he says he's like, keep your conduct honorable. And this really means just doing things, not doing the things that, oh, you know, those things that you, you want to do that you shouldn't do. The things that your flesh actually want to do. And and, he, and why? It's so that people, others might see your good deeds and, and it leads them to God, so they glorify God. And other, you know, you're priests. You're priests. I'm a priest. We represent God to people and we represent people to God. There are thousands of ways, thousands of ways to represent God to people. And I think what it often boils down to is serving, service. Another word for that is Sacrifice. Jesus himself said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Oh, far out. The King of kings, the most worthy one of all, the one that we worship this morning. I exalt you, Lord, the one who's worthy. You know, we, we want to serve him. But he says, I didn't come to serve. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, which means that we also, you know, we're not looking to be served, but we're looking to serve. Praying for people for healing. 
is one way that we can serve. One way also that we represent God. Actually, it's a two-way thing, isn't it? When you pray for healing and that person is healed, that represents God. God is the healer. We're also, when we pray for someone for healing, we're representing that person to God. Like that two-way thing. Giving hungry people food. It's what Jesus did. Our God is, is the God who feeds the hungry. So when we give people hungry people food, we represent God to people. Um, I was talking to someone the other day, and, and, he, and, he, and he mentioned how one of the greatest needs he reckons that we need as, in society at the moment is actually just the, uh, the ability to listen to others, to actually just stop and listen to others. We talk, 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 but no, stopping and listening, listening to others and encouraging people. That represents God to people. Being a peacemaker in anxious times. Jesus was the, uh, like the best peacemaker. He'd, he'd walk into a, a situation filled with anxiety and he'd release peace. He's the prince of peace. These are just a few of the ways. But again, I think there's thousands and thousands of ways. Figuring out ways. Like we, we learn and, and we figure out like daily, figuring out ways to model our lives after Jesus. The verse of the day. <laughs> the verse of the day today. And... Um, uh, yeah, I've already told you the story. I'll tell you again. But you know, I, I look at the U version verse of the day each day, and and I love it. And today it says First John two six, whoever says he abides in me, oh, so whoever says he abides in him, it's Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So what have we talked about? The, the, the Levitical priests, the priests in Israel, um, priests for Israel, they represented Israel to God. Jesus, our great high priest, represents us to God. So who do we represent to God? Our friends, our neighbours, our families, our children, our spouses, husbands and wives, our, our parents, our in-laws, our schools, our workplaces, our university, <laughs> universities. We represent our church, our churches. There's people from other churches here. Our small groups. We, we, we might represent our, our city, Wellington whichever city you're from. We might represent our nation, like the, the priests of Israel represented the nation of Israel. We, we, we might represent people and communities that are far from God, our enemies. Oof. Just, you know, when we draw close to God, should we, should we or, or can we actually bear other people on our, on our shoulders and our, in our chest, like carrying them also into the presence of God? I don't actually know the answer to this. But I think there's this, there's this I think what kind of God's been, at least been sort of highlighting to me is almost like, we, you know, shifting from when I, go, when I go and worship God, that I actually go and worship on behalf of others as well, who, who, can't, who maybe can't be there. Either they can't be in the same room because they're looking after children out there, or they, they're not in the same room because they don't know God at all. Like, you know, because we, we talk about going into the presence of God. Well, the high priest, they'll carry the people, the other people. What if, what if today we actually represent a people yet to come? 
I mean this in kind of two ways. People yet to come, as in they haven't been born yet. Like, you know, like Abraham, Father Abraham represented a people yet to come, a few hundred years down the track. Maybe we represent our, our children and our children's children, our children's children's children, you know, generation after generation. I also mean this in the sense of representing a people that are yet to come to Jesus, that are yet to come into the family of God, who haven't yet tasted of the goodness of God. So there's a there's a massive there's a massive challenge in this because um you know we we have all grown up and well no I shouldn't say we have all grown up because some of us hasn't but but I have um but but we've many of us have at least grown up in a, in a very individualistic culture and it's actually very very hard to to kind of even even as we've come to Jesus it's hard to kind of like recognize that and to see it it's almost like blinders and this and this creeps into how we we do church. Um, and, and we see, we even come to church as, as individuals, and often, you know, <laughs> conviction time <laughs> for me too, come into church thinking, oh, what am I going to get, what am I going to get out of this for myself? But this is not a biblical view of church. This is not a biblical understanding of church, because as church we come and we represent others. So even as church we come, we represent the people around us. Um, you know, this morning it was a struggle. You know, you're all here, but it was a struggle probably coming to church because, you know, daylight savings. But, and so in the flesh, you're going to go, oh, I just want to stay home and sleep in. What am I going to get out of church today anyway? But good, you're here. Good. You're doing great because you come and you, and you represent, okay? <clears throat> coming to church is good. <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm reading Bonhoeffer's biography at the moment, and man, talk about challenging. Legend, eh? And uh, if you haven't heard about him, he was just this um, incredible, I think a real prophet at the time of um, World War II, living in Germany, standing as a, as a light in the darkness, representing others. He, he went in the, this is like World War II was just almost just, just around the corner and, the, and things were getting tougher and tougher in Germany. He ends up over in New York and, and he knew that things were going to be terrible back in Germany. And he's like, but I can't, I can't be here in New York and the US. I've got to go back. I've got to go back and represent the people of God. And so he was killed. He was a martyr. Anyway, this is what he said. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. The church is the church only when it exists for others, not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. Oh, to live for Christ, to exist for others. When we, get, when we give our lives to Christ, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for Christ and for others. Our, our identity is in Him. And what the world needs today, what the world needs today is a, is a kingdom of priests. And it's not a kingdom of priests who stand up and be, you know, dominant, you know, like power trips over people and everything like that. But it's a kingdom of priests who kneel down and, and serve, representing others to God and representing God to others. So. Do you want to stand and we'll, and we'll pray just and we'll see what, see what God's, see what God's doing. Have another drink from my bottle.
Lord. Oh, Jesus, just you are so incredible. You're so incredible, Lord Jesus. Even now, seated in the heavenly places, physically seated in the heavenly places, our representative, the, the anchor for our soul in the holy of holies, in the presence of God. Even now, Jesus. So would you send your Holy Spirit, Lord? Thank you, Lord. We, we, know, we know that you're here. We know your promises that we're two or three are gathered in your name, that you're, that you're there in their midst. We know that you're here in our midst, but would you send even a, a fresh wind of your Spirit today, Lord? You are-